Well, as Ron said, I'm, I'm James Murphy, uh, and I'm real excited to be here. Uh, it's, it's like coming home for our family. We, were, uh, we attended here for about 10 years. I was an elder here for, for nine. Uh, I was here last uh, summer and preached to you uh, during uh, this, the same time period. And, and it feels awful familiar, not just because it's hot again, not because the, just the air conditioning is out again, but because I see a lot of faces that I, that I know and love, and I'm just excited to be here uh, sharing from God's Word again with you. And I see a lot that, I, that I've never met before, and that's exciting as well. And so thank you uh, to, the, to your, um, your pastors and your, your session for inviting me back uh, during this uh, summertime to share during this uh, this season in, in, uh, in Psalms, and, and, I, and I hope that it would be edifying to you. Um, as I said, um, my, my wife, Kate, and, and my daughters and I spent a lot of time here, and, uh, and so just, just grateful to be here among you. Um, we, we have moved uh, about a year and a half ago to Winchester, um, and so I'd ask that you would continue to pray for us. Katie's parents both have dementia and uh, it, it is, uh, seems to be accelerating, and so that's a real burden on Katie and as she's the sibling nearest uh, to them to take care of them. So uh, please uh, lift, lift her up and her parents up in, in prayer. So as I said, I'll be continuing your summer in Psalms series. Boy, I got nailed it. I, yeah, in rehearsing this, I screwed that up every time. Say that three times fast. You know, summer in Psalms series. Um, we'll be in Psalm 98 today, and uh, as we prepare to hear what the Lord will teach us this morning by His Spirit in that passage, I, you can go ahead and open uh, your Bibles to Psalm 98. But uh, before we, we do that, let me, let me open us in our time together in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. We're grateful for your people. Thank you for Potomac Hills and all the saints who gather here faithfully each week. Holy Spirit, would you prepare us to listen as you teach us this morning? Please enable us to understand and apply your words. We need them. We need your help because too often we come here to be with you in worship, distracted and discouraged and disillusioned. Too often we hurry in, not ready to praise you, not ready to hear from you. And you are certainly worthy of all our praise and everything we could ever give and more. But God, we confess it's sometimes hard to worship. Instead of a ready heart, we come with the stresses of our family lives, our jobs, our schooling. We come with burdens which hinder us from hearing you. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, hands to serve and hearts to obey. We know we have so much to be joyful for. Most of all, we can rejoice in the completed work of your Savior, Jesus Christ. He suffered and died in our place long ago so that we could be forgiven and receive peace with God and an internal, eternal inheritance kept secure forever for us in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us in spite of our many sins. We love you. In the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand if you're able as I, I'm about to read Psalm 98. So please do that. I read all nine verses, Psalm 98. Pay careful attention as this is God's word. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. 
The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. With the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the Lord, before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please have a seat. In the uh, mid and late 90s, as a relatively new Christian, I attended a number of Promise Keepers men's conferences. And as we uh, traveled around as uh, a Marine family, um, we uh, lived in a number of different places, and I went to these conferences, and these were big conferences, you know, um, stadiums, thousands of men uh, worshiping together, and, uh, and I thank God for that time, and it was, it was a blessing to me. And, you know, one of the things um, that I remembered um, most, one of the most impactful things uh, uh, to me as I, as I went in and out of these stadiums in Alabama and, and uh uh, also in North Carolina and even in, in RFK Stadium before it was torn down, um, was just being there among so many men um, and hearing the loud singing and the joy of uh, worshiping our Lord together in such a big crowd of people. I mean, it really had an impact on me. Thousands of men belting out hymns and praise and worship songs. It, was, it really was glorious to experience. My first experience with something like that was uh, in 91 uh, in a basketball stadium at the University of Illinois in Urbana. It was the Urbana World Missions Conference. And, uh, you know, I, was, I got, had the privilege as a, uh, a new believer, very new believer, less than a year at that point, of standing among thousands of both men and women in that basketball stadium in the winter there and just hearing just the, the joyous uh, singing uh, of so many people as they worshiped the Lord. So several times a day we would gather for plenary sessions and missionaries would speak and um, it was just really um, uh, formative in my, my young life as a Christian. And it was, it was glorious. In fact, um, at, at that time they asked all of us attendees if uh, we would like to sing in a choir on stage in the center of the, uh, of the stadium. Uh, uh, the Christian singer Steve Green was, was uh, one of the worship leaders there. And I jumped at the chance. You know, I, I, um, I barely knew any Christian songs. Uh, I, I'd never sang in a choir before. Uh, I couldn't read music, um, but, but I could follow other people as they sang, right? I could mostly sing in tune, and I just jumped at the chance, and I was excited to do that in spite of my lack of musical experiences because, because I just wanted to be in that place with those people just belting out praises to God, um, and, and, and that was how impactful it was to me. And I just, I'm curious, have you ever been in a situation where um, you've been singing near somebody who couldn't hold a tune in a bucket? Has that ever happened to you? Um, Just 
they just have no idea like what tune, what, what, what we're singing the melodies off, and they're just, they're just singing like they just don't care, right? I mean, they're just belting it out. And uh, I, I knew two guys like that, um, our pastor and our Bible church there in North Carolina, and a, uh, a surgeon that worshiped with us in a church in Florida. Uh, both of them were named John. So the pastor, John, used to proudly say of his off-key singing that he sang in the key of J. And if you know anything about music, there's, there's no key of J, right? And, uh, you know, so as it, as it happened when I went to the North Carolina Promise Keepers event, Pastor John was right behind me belting it out in the key of J, right? And, and when I went to the Alabama one with a different men's group from a different church, um, there, or actually I have that reverse, so... Um, the surgeon John was was behind me at that other event, and he was singing at the top of his lungs in the key of J. And I got to tell you, just like it was at Promise Keeper, it was it was glorious. Uh, just like it was at that Urbana conference, it was glorious. I didn't I didn't care that these men, whom I loved and who loved my family, I uh, couldn't hold a tune in a bucket. It was it was wonderful to hear that they were ma- certainly making a joyful noise to the Lord, and it was a privilege to be singing in that big crowd mostly in tune, not some not so much, um, but it was glorious to, to be there worshiping with that many people. And, and, I, and if you've never experienced that, I, I hope you get to go to a, a Christian concert, perhaps a worship concert or some other experience where you get to be uh, in that big a crowd. And, and certainly I heard it this morning. You know, it was wonderful to hear all of you uh, singing worship songs loudly uh, to the Lord, and we'll get a chance to do that again. Well, our passage today is about a joyous new song about kept promises and a universal choir. It's about the first and second coming of our Lord, about the past, about the present, and about the future, and about God's covenant love and the strength of his faithfulness toward us. And by the time we're done this morning, we will hopefully all see why we as Christians have so much to be joyously singing about. But before I delve further into this passage, I'd like to just pause and acknowledge uh, the fine preaching of uh, the late pastor Tim, Tim Ke- uh, Keller, um, and also the, the, the fine preaching of the Chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, Dr. Uh, J. Ligon Duncan, and their sermons on this passage, as well as uh, the second volume of the excellent expository commentary on Psalms by the late Dr. James Boyce, among several others. In fact, I read about 100 pages of, you know, of commentaries from 10 different authors, all in these just nine verses. That's just, that's just how rich they are and how much they in, uh, informed me and, and taught me about worship. So I hope that um, it's the same uh, for you. So it's with confidence that I, that I believe that what God wants us to learn about him today, about, about our sin and about our Savior, um, will be taught to us by his Holy Spirit. And by God's grace, I'll attempt to share a little something of these beautiful verses with you today. I pray that everything that I will say this morning will be truthful, that my sinfulness and my weakness will not get in the way, so that our time together would be edifying to you and so that God would build his church and glorify himself. So let's look again at the passage. The first section of the psalm is the first three verses. We read them earlier today. I'll read them here again. It says, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has, received, he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness 
to the house of Israel. So the first half of this uh, first verse here in Psalm 98 is the exact same words from the first verse of Psalm 96. In fact, Psalm 96, 97, and 98 are kind of a package. They, they are often uh, taught together. Um, but this song that we're, we're reading through in this passage is also very similar to Miriam's song in Exodus 15, um, where God had just delivered the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt and had just drowned uh, Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea in judgment. Psalm is also very similar to Mary's song, the Magnificat, in Luke chapter 1. And we also see heavenly beings worshiping the song with a new song in Revelation 5. Now, the interesting thing is we have this worship, we have these reasons for worship, but we have judgment at the end uh, in, in verse 9. And the last section of Psalm 98 is about judgment. In fact, it's about rejoicing over God's judgment. And uh, that, that sounds a little odd to us, right? I mean, it, rejoicing in judgment. And so we'll come back to that because that sounds a little strange, but we'll, it'll make sense hopefully by the end. In this opening section, the psalm gives us the reason for rejoicing at the end when God comes to judge. That reason is as he has done. Let's look at the first, first three verses again. He has done. He has worked. The Lord has made known. He has revealed. He has remembered. Notice all that is in the past tense. Right? All those things are things that Christ has already done, that God has already done. He has done. He has worked. He has made known. He has revealed. He has remembered. And so that gives us confidence, doesn't it? We can rejoice knowing Christ's work and accomplishing our salvation is a past event. And if you're following in the outline, that's, that's your first uh, answer there um, in the outline, the past event. So let me pause for just a second and talk about the past. If in the past Christ died to pay for all the sins you committed before the moment you believed, does it make any sense that somehow the effectiveness of that salvation, of that work, would not also cover your future sins as well? If what God did in the, in the distant past paid for everything up to the moment you believed, it would make sense that it also pays for your future sins as well, doesn't it? And that's your next blank in your outline. So you see, your salvation was accomplished by his completed work, by his strong hand, because his work in dying for you was sufficient. Next blank in your outline. His work was sufficient. It's not incomplete. It, it, it paid for it all. It was enough. It was the whole package, right? I mean, you don't need to add to it. Christ's work on the cross was sufficient. In fact, he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. Look at verse 1 again. His right hand and his holy, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. He did it, not you, not your effort, not your good deeds, your sincere religious devotion. It was his right hand, his strength, his obedience to death on the cross that saved you. And he needed no help from you. Now that, that sounds harsh. It's not meant to be harsh. It's actually meant to be an encouragement, right? 
Um, I, you know, Katie and I, years ago, I think I've shared this before, uh, invited Mormon missionaries into our home and, and spent some time, weeks actually, meeting with them, talking to them about what the real gospel is, right? There's, there's confusion on their part about what the truth is. And I remember reading to them from Ephesians and telling them that, that salvation was uh, by grace through faith. And I read to them that verse, and they stopped me, and they said, well, your, your version's not correct. You, you, there's thousands, they said, of mistranslations uh, in your version of the Bible. It actually says, salvation is by grace through faith after all you can do. After all you can do. I mean, that just completely unwinds what grace means, right? It turns everything in, in that part of Ephesians 2, and really all of Ephesians, into nonsense when, when salvation becomes something that is only granted to you after all you can do. Like, you have to add to what Christ did. Christ's work wasn't sufficient in their mind. And uh, it's something that we need to remember, and this, th- these passages today remind us of that. So notice in, in verse 2, it says, uh, The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. The truth of the gospel is something that God makes known. Truth is. Truth isn't made. It isn't manufactured. It's not a social construct. It's, it, it is. Truth is. And God makes it known. Here we see the knowledge of the truth of salvation is given. God gives us the ability to understand the things of Christ. The spiritual things which are foolishness to those who are without the Spirit. And they certainly were foolishness to me as an atheist, the idea that there was a God and that he could save you and that's something that some Jewish guy did on a cross um, 2,000 years ago had any impact on me, right? So it was all foolishness to me. And God made that known to me. And And if you're a believer here today, God made that known to you. It was his work. It was his hand, his strength, his faithfulness, all those things that we we see here um, as being past events. And so he has made known his salvation. In verse 3, we see that God's love for you is steadfast here in the present. We have uh, is steadfast, right? So we're, we're now talking about the present, and that's the, the next uh, blank in your outline. He remembers us, present tense. He will always remember us in the future his steadfast love, his covenant love, which I'm sure you remember is the Hebrew word has said, it's that idea of covenant love, is always before him. Indeed, God cannot forget his promise towards us. Even when we feel as though he has forgotten us, he remembers us still. Even when we forget his faithfulness and we are not steadfast, maybe we feel abandoned, God is steadfast even when we wander away. That's, that's the, the blessing of that anchor, right? He's, he can't be shaken, and we can trust in him. Notice also in verse 6, God did not, go, not, did not do all of his faithful loving, his remembering, his saving in a corner. It says, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. Now, admittedly and sadly, not all have believed, but the covenant love of God towards his people, his Marvelous deeds, as we read in the first verse, have not been done in a corner. They haven't been done in secret. All the world uh, can see them. And so what we, ha- we have what Tim Keller called the provision for judgment in verses 1 through 3. It's where we see the reason we can look forward to the future judgment of verse 9 and rejoice when he comes again. 
So with this in mind, let's look at these verses, verses 4 through 9. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the, before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the, the world and all who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Dr. Boyce says in his commentary that John Wesley exhorted the early Methodists with this. He said, quote, Sing lustfully, lustily, with good courage. Be aware of singing as though you are half dead or asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. And I can tell you those two Johns, they, they didn't sing like they were half dead or asleep, right? They were just unabashed. In, in worshiping the God as out of tune as they were, right? And I'm not sure I would say of the way they sung as being lusty or lustily, but uh, you get the point, right? I mean, we're singing with gusto. Um, we are, we're singing with, with uh, force and strength. Um, and it was beautiful to hear those men singing, as I said. I mean, they loved me. They loved my family. They ministered to me. And uh, I didn't care how they sang. It was, it was beautiful to hear them uh, sing uh, with us. Uh, because after all, they weren't performing for me, right? When we, when we worship here, uh, it's not a performance uh, for us. We're, we're not auditioning uh, for a musical someplace, right? Um, uh, we love the Lord, and we want to lift our voices in praise. And if, if you're like one of the Johns, and you, you feel a little like you're not singing quite right, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And we, we want to hear you sing. The Lord wants you to lift your voice Raise your heart and, your, and, your, and worship him uh, with, with strength and boldness and with joy. So don't, so don't worry about that. And, and uh, it, it, that's your next um, blank there. Don't worry if, you don't, if you're singing out of tune. So Lingen Duggan uh, preached on this psalm to his congregation in Jackson, Mississippi in 2008. And he pointed out something interesting. He said um, that sometimes we sing to God in the lyrics that we uh, are singing, right? Sometimes we're singing to God. The direction is to God. And sometimes we sing about God. Sing about God. And, and we're singing to each other in that kind of sense, right? And the key to seeing which direction that we are singing is to look at the pronouns. If we're singing uh, to him, then we see you and your, those types of pronouns. If we're singing about him, we see he and him. And you might ask, well, why don't we just sing to God, right? I mean, we're here to worship him. This is his, these are his people. We should be lifting our praises and directing them directly to God. Why don't we just sing to God? Well, the, well, the truth is, as Ligon points out, sometimes we just, we're not ready to worship and praise in that way, right? We come in distracted, as I said in my opening prayer, we're discouraged. We need to lift our voices and hear each other speaking and singing and, and worshiping about God. We need to hear that information and be reminded of his goodness. And then once we've remembered his faithfulness, his love towards us, his completed work on the cross for us, and we've, we've heard the chorus of, of believers in this room remind us of that, then we can move towards singing to God, as Ligon, as Ligon suggests. And I think that's 
an interesting thing that I'm going to be looking at uh, as we as we sing it, um, songs. And the, the rest of my life here on earth is: is this a song to, or is this a song about God? And and do I am I ready to praise God? Am I ready to be in this room with these believers? Is my heart inclined to worship, or am I distracted? Am I am I elsewhere in my thoughts? Do I need to be reminded and brought back? You know, someday we're going to be with God and we're going to sing like never before and, it'll, and none of our sin and our entanglements will be in the way and we'll be worshiping to him and about him and the, and the, and the great heavenly hosts and, and, and worshiping him forever. And I look forward to that day. And, and uh, someday he will return. And when he returns, he actually returns to judge the earth. He'll be coming to make everything right, to restore our decaying universe to the beauty and perfection it was intended to have. And so if you're following your outlines, that's your, your next blank there, to make everything right. And that's why what we expect of judges, right? We want them to make things right. J.R.R. Tolkien said uh, through Samwise Gamgee as, Gandalf, as he asked Gandalf at the end of The Lord of the Rings, is everything sad going to come untrue? And this is a great picture, I think, of, of what it will be when Christ returns in glory to, as, as the victorious king to make everything right, everything sad will be untrue. And when that happens, all of creation in some way that's difficult, I think, for us to understand, inanimate creation is somehow going to join us and burst forth in rest, restoration praise. Let's look at verses uh, 7 and 8 and part of 9. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. Romans 8 tells us that at the fall, our first parents sinned. And that sin entered the universe and broke it. Verses 19 to 23 in Romans 8. For, creation, for the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have been who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Creation itself is groaning with us in this present time. Somehow creation is broken in, in, in a way that it longs to be restored, longs to be released from decay and bondage. And when Christ returns, all of creation will somehow burst forth in beauty and and, and joyously sling alongside us uh, before the Lord. Well, friends, it's only because of the faithfulness, the steadfast love, the always remembering God of our salvation who will never abandon us that we can see in verses, that we see in verses one through three that the future judgment of the world will be an occasion for joyous praise and celebration. Well, let's be honest, like I said earlier, it seems a bit odd that we will rejoice at that judgment. Look again at the second half of verse 9, for he comes to judge the earth. 
He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Again, the world's broken and longs to be restored and will be joyous because he has rescued us. He's, all those things that he did in the past are true today in us and we are secure in him. And so when he comes in, in judgment to fix all the wrongs, to make all the sadness of the world untrue, we'll celebrate. We'll be glad that he's here to finally make things right. Jesus will come again someday, and when he does, he will establish his victory on earth. He will judge truthfully and with equity, your next uh, blanks there in your outline, which means here with uprightness, fairness, integrity, and by just standards. Friends, no one's going to be standing in judgment condemned before our Father in heaven, before Christ and his throne, and feel like they got a raw deal, that they were judged unfairly, that they were in fact innocent. No, one's gonna, no one is going to stand there condemned and feel like they received injustice. No one will think they didn't get a, a fair deal before the judge. When Christ comes again in judgment, all of those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ's completed work in paying for their sins will be seen by the judge as having been washed white as snow, blameless, sinless, innocent, with no more record of wrong, with their sins removed from them, as Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west. So far has, uh, does he remove our transgressions from us. Those who have believed will be standing there in judgment, wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, forgiven, perfect, accepted. And we will all sing like we've never sung before. And creation itself will somehow sing along with us, joyously released from corruption, decay, and bondage. The next time the Lord comes, he does come to make everything right. And isn't that what we expect of our earthly judges, as I said? They make things right. They're supposed to ensure the innocent go free and that the guilty are punished. They execute justice. Sadly, our our Lord will come to judge those who have not had their sins transferred to him by faith. And unlike those who have trusted Christ and been declared innocent, they will remain guilty and have to pay for their sins themselves and will be carried off to eternal separation from God and everlasting punishment in hell. And that is a terrible thought. It's a a sad and scary and terrible thought. Uh, So I I pray that you are listening if this applies to you. Friends, do you know the salvation Christ has accomplished by his right hand? Have you personally believed Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as a payment for your sins? Do you understand that you are guilty of violating God's law and receive God's wrath unless you repent and believe and accept what Christ did as your substitute on the cross? Do you understand the forgiveness of God is a gift you can never earn? Do you understand that heaven is a place you do not deserve? None of us do. None of us do. Only those who have repented and believed in Christ get what only Christ deserves. Until you believe these things about yourself and about Christ and his work, your singing to God will never be more than noise. No matter how beautiful you're, voices or how well you can carry a tune it will never be acceptable to him until you believe in christ 
You cannot please God apart from faith in Christ. You will never have the peace of knowing that you've been forever adopted, forever forgiven, forever loved and accepted by the Lord of the universe until you transfer your trust to Christ. And honestly, all the world's religions are trusting in themselves, trusting in the individual, trusting that you will be good enough, that some standard keeper will see you and and say you passed, right? You're trusting in your own goodness, your own works. And when you become a Christian, you're you're, you're saying, "I'm, I'm not good enough. I can't be good enough. There's nothing I can do to erase this debt. Christ is good enough, and I trust in him. So becoming a Christian is a transfer of trust. Who are you trusting in today? Reverend Isaac Watts, an English minister from the 15th and 16th century, wrote the famous hymn, Joy to the World. And he based it off of Psalm 98. It was never meant by him to be a song only sung at Christmas. It's a song about the joy that will burst forth in all creation when Jesus returns again in judgment to make everything right. Everything right and everywhere right. And to, to fix the broken universe, fix our broken hearts, to, to repair the broken relationship, to bring us back into fellowship, to adopt us, to be with him forever as his family. And Watts writes, and we'll sing it here in a moment, um, that, he, that this is a time where God's invading glory will go as far as the, earth, the curse is found. So as I said, we're about to sing that beautiful hymn. I, I put in my request, and, and, and I know it's not Christmas, and so we're about to sing Joy to the World, which I'm excited about, um, even though it's not Christmas. And I want you to think about the lyrics as we sing them. In fact, hopefully you're paying attention to the lyrics this morning, um, every week, right? Um, the, the folks that put together those songs, Tom, uh, Eli, and others that, that think about what the, the sermon is and what the words of the Psalms are going to be and all the whole liturgy is really ni- nicely tied together. And the, the words mean so much. I mean, you may be singing out of tune, but those words that you're singing are really important. And I hope you pay attention to them. You'll notice as we sing it, it's, it's not about the first coming. It's not about the advent, the birth of Christ. It is about his second coming. Notice how all of creation will someday join us in a chorus of praise when we sing these lyrics. And from Isaac Watts, he wrote, While fields and flocks, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. And he's, he's saying that this will be a time when God will no more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. So, uh, you know, we're about to sing, and I hope you burst forth loudly and that you're not half dead or asleep as we sing this, this beautiful uh, hymn from so long ago. Um, but before we do that, let me close our time together in this beautiful scripture in prayer. Let's pray. Glorious Heavenly Father, we lift our hearts in praise to you. You have indeed already accomplished marvelous things. You have rescued us from the eternal consequences of our sinfulness. We are amazed at your grace. Help us to live joyfully in anticipation of your coming. 
when you will make everything right and we will live with you in everlasting peace because what you have done to us and for us on the cross so long ago. We love you, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be a beacon of truth and light in a world which desperately needs you. Help us to love our neighbors, love our families, love our coworkers, our friends, the people that we meet, even those who don't like us, even those that may be our enemies, in a way that would uh, show them this beacon of light that you've given us. Help us to be a beacon for the gospel. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here or online that doesn't know you yet, that these words this morning from your spirit and from your word would penetrate deeply into their hearts, that you would peel the scales from their eyes and give them Jesus. We pray all these things according to your will and for your glory alone. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Amen.